we have a time of confession. And during the sermon, I'm going to talk a little bit about wandering and how often, how prone we are to wandering away from God. And this scripture, uh, this prayer of confession is about how even when we wander, God is so faithful to us to bring us and draw us back into his presence. So during this time, why don't we have, uh, read this prayer of confession t- together, and then we'll spend some time just alone, uh, silently praying uh, a personal and private time of confession. So let's pray this corporate prayer of confession. Dear Father, we're thankful that your mercy is higher than the heavens, wider than our wanderings, deeper than all our sins. Forgive our frivolous attitude toward life, our callousness toward suffering, our envy of those who have more than we have, our obsession with creating a life of constant pleasure, our indifference to the treasure of heaven, our neglect of your wise and gracious law. Help us to change our way of life so that we may desire what is good, love what you love, and do what you command. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Amen. Why don't we spend some time in silent prayer and confession. Hear now the word of God's grace is from Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgression from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Amen. Would you receive that word of God's grace and God's forgiveness? Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, the scripture reading that we're, we're looking at is Psalm chapter 1. We're starting on a new series of sermons called Spiritual Practices for Your Soul. And this morning, we're reading Psalm chapter 1. This is a reading of God's word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates Day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. This is a reading of God's word. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we pray now as we uh, listen to your words that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts, speak to wherever we are in life, that we would hear your voice. We would uh, be drawn back if we're wandering, back, back into your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're starting a new series of sermons, so if you're new here, this is a great day to join us. And we are looking first at, we're looking at the Psalms, and the, the Psalms are right in the middle of the Bible. They're a beautiful book of poems. They are songs. They are filled with beautiful images that are 
thought-provoking, that are powerful and beautiful. But through the series, we're looking at how the Psalms teach us about our inner lives or our souls. And we're going to be looking at practices in the Psalms that keep uh, our souls alive and healthy. Uh, We're going to look at how in the Psalms are embedded spiritual practices. So throughout the series, we're going to talk about practices for our soul uh, to keep us growing to keep us flourishing in all of life. A lot of people think that Christianity is just a, a set of beliefs that people believe. And it is that, at first, it is a set of beliefs. But Christianity is more than that. It's a, it's a way of living. It's a set of practices. Uh, it's a way of life. Imagine if you had a friend who was a vegan. I don't know if you've had vegan friends. Imagine you had a friend who was vegan, and you, you know, you're going out to lunch, and you're kind of sensitive to, toward them. And so you ask them where they want to eat lunch. And imagine if they say, well, let's, let's hit up that burger joint that just opened up. And you're like, well, I don't think they have vegan burgers there. What if they said to you, well, I actually eat red meat occasionally. Maybe every other day I can eat red meat. And also, I, I, I don't take exception to dairy. I can, I can drink dairy. And you'd probably say to them, well, I don't think you're really vegan. I hate to break it to you. But if you eat red meat every other day and... If you take dairy, you're just not a vegan. You might like the idea of veganism, but you're not a vegan. You know, veganism is a way of life. It's a choice that you make. It's what you eat. It's what you wear. It's a lifestyle. It's a philosophy of life in some ways. Um, You know, Christianity is the same way. Christianity is not just things that you believe, but it's also a set of practices. It's a a lifestyle uh, that shape us. And throughout the series, we're going to be looking at the life, uh, the set of practices of Christianity. We're going to be looking at practices like prayer, like worship, like confession. We're going to be looking at uh, gratitude. We're going to look at practices um, that the Psalms teach us, that if we practice them, it will keep our souls alive, refreshed, and growing. Uh, We're going to be looking at the Psalms. Uh, as a guide to the way, a guide to the way. The Psalms teach us about these Christian practices. Today, we're going to look at the introduction to the Psalms. The Psalms teach us, Psalm 1 gives us an overview of all of the Psalms. It's the gateway to the Psalms. And today, we're going to look at the first practice, which is meditation, but also more broadly about this whole idea of Christian practices, or the way. So today, as we look at Psalm 1, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look first at life without a path. We're going to secondly look at the path of life. Finally, the blessings of this path. Those three things. And the first thing is this life without a path. Psalm 1 is an introduction to the Psalms. It, uh, there are 150 Psalms. Psalm 1 is the gateway there. It gives us a, a look at what the whole Psalter, as we can call it, is about. But Psalm 1 begins with an alternate idea. It gives us two paths, or two ways, two philosophies of life. And it starts in a negative. It starts by looking at life without a path. And this is verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat of scoffers, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. In verse 1, we meet a man who's not on the path. Uh, he goes from walking to standing to sitting. It's a, it's a, a picture of regression. Someone who's regressing. 
someone who's wandering. Uh, verse 1 shows us how to, how to lose your soul in three easy steps. How do you lose your soul? How to lose your way in three easy steps. Step one, he accepts the advice of the world. That's the counsel of the wicked. Step two, secondly, he not only listens to the counsel, the advice of the world, but he takes part in their community. That stands in the way of sinners. Finally, he adopts their cynical attitude toward God. He sits in a seat of scoffers. You know, there's a powerful pull. Uh, it's like gravity that draws us away from God. There's all of these things in our culture, in our world, in our lives that draws from the presence of God. Uh, it could be apathy. It could be Instagram. It could be the people around you. It could be the entertainment that you watch. It can be family members. All of these things draw, can, can draw us away from the presence of God. It can draw us away, and it can lead us to living very cynically. That's the final step. We're very cynical about God, about God's ability to change people, about God's presence in our own lives. There's a pull away from the way. Uh, there is all kinds of things that can lead us away from the path. What are the consequences of that? Well, verse 4 says this. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Uh, the consequences of living without a path is that uh, we will be like chaff and we will be driven away. What is chaff? Well, in the Bible, uh, during harvest time, there was a lot of agricultural images in the Bible because they lived in an agrarian society. And during uh, harvest time, uh, chaff is the outer casing of wheat. It's like uh, the husk of corn. It's there to protect the wheat. It's casing, this casing of the wheat. But when you harvested wheat, it was not valuable. In fact, you want to throw it away. So what they would do in biblical times is that, especially when it was a windy day, they'd throw the grain in the air, and the wind would blow away the chaff, blow it away, and you'd be left with the wheat. Uh, the Bible says that if you don't have this center in your life, if you're not part of this way, you're going to be weightless. Uh, you are going to have a sense of there's not going to be something strong in your life, a center in your life that's going to center you. You're going to be blown away by the different troubles of this life. You're going to go from this thing to that thing. Uh, if you don't have a way in life, uh, there's going to be no center. You're going to be up and down, here and there. Uh, because you are weightless, you're going to be driven away. It seems like if you don't have a path, there's, it seems to be an attractive option because you don't have, uh, you have options. You, know, you, have, you don't have anything tying you down. You, know, you don't have this thing that you got to do. Some people are like having those kind of options. But think about this. In reality, if you don't have a path in life, you're wandering. Uh, you don't have a, a true north a true passion in life. You're always going to be wandering. You're never going to be arriving. If you don't have a path, you don't have a destination. You're not going anywhere in particular. You're wandering. There's no destination. There's no hope. There's no destination that your life is ultimately headed toward. A life without a path is a life without passion. It's a life without hope. Uh, at the end of Psalm 1, it says that the wicked will perish. That if you don't have a path, you will perish. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he talks in his book about mere Christianity, about false notions of hell. And uh, one of the things that he talks about in his book is 
he objects to the notion that God is this angry God and he sends people to hell. And he reframes the idea of hell like this. He says that in all of us, there are things in our life, there's angry, something angry or cynical, that if we just let it keep going, it's going to be hell down the road. He says this. He says, all of us have something in us right now that will be hell unless we learn to address it. He says, hell is not a place that God sends us to in an angry way, but hell is that cancer in us, that selfishness in us, that God, let, he just lets it go, and it just grows and grows and grows and grows, and we get further and further and further away from God. Think about your life right now. If you take your life right now with all of its habits, all of its tendencies, where are you going to be 10 years from now? Just take your life and your habits and the patterns of your life. Where are you going to be 20 years from now? Where are you going to be 1,000 years from now? That's your path. That's where you're going. Uh, all of us are in, on two different kinds of paths. If you take your life right now and just extend it and you just go down the road, some of us are on a path way away from God and some of us are on a path that's way closer to, to the heart of God. Where are you? What path are you on right now? Well, here's the good news. If you feel like your life right now and its habits and its patterns are on a path far away from God, this is the good news. This is the second point. God is offering you a new path. He's given you uh, the option of a new destination, a new hope in life. And this is the path of life. Someone starts off negative, but then it gives you an alternative, another path, another way that is life-giving. This is Psalm 1-2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Uh, the first thing on the path is this relationship to the law of God. That is, in the Hebrew text, the Torah. And the Torah doesn't just mean the commandments. It doesn't just mean something like the Ten Commandments, the law of God. It's, it means the whole counsel of God, all of the revelation of God. That means for us today, the whole Bible. And the path is essentially taking what the whole Bible says, meditating on on it, and applying it to all of our life. Uh, Throughout the series, we're going to be looking at how the Psalms relate to our whole life, to our angers, to our pain, to our joy, to our sorrows. It gives us practices like prayer, meditation, confession, worship. But we have to regularly take up these practices. We have to regularly apply these practices to our everyday life. Uh, Some of us in community groups are reading a book by Tish Warren. Uh, She describes it as the liturgy of the ordinary, that we need a liturgy for our everyday uh, hours of our life. And liturgy is a key idea. It's a set of practices that shape our lives. Uh, many religious scholars have noted that liturgy, uh, non-Christians have a liturgy. There's liturgy everywhere. Uh, religious scholars have pointed out that baseball games, for instance, have a liturgy. There's an organized way, a liturgy, that happens. Uh, everyone stands for the national anthem. Uh, they cheer, they clap when someone crosses home plate. Everyone stands and sings uh, during the seventh inning stretch. 
And at the end, at the bottom of ninth, at the end of the game, there's a dismissal. Everyone leaves. Except if you're in L.A., people leave early to beat traffic. Except for that. Those are the same people who leave church before the final song. I know who you are. <laughs> people like that. They want to beat everyone out. I know, what that's, I know what's going on up here when I give the benediction. But uh, there's a organ, there is a organizing liturgy. Uh, to things like uh, in the world. And what liturgy does, and why we have liturgy in our church service, is um, it helps order us. It helps uh, every part of liturgy in the service is designed for us to reflect, to look up to God, to confess our sins. Uh, Every part of our worship service is designed for reflection, for renewal. And we not only need liturgy in service, we need liturgy throughout the day. Uh, we need things in our day which help us because we're so forgetful. We're so for- forgetful of God. Uh, we're so forgetful of who he is and how he's involved in our ordinary lives that we need a liturgy in our life. We need our, a liturgy on Monday morning. What is the liturgy about? What are some aspects of liturgy? That's the, what the whole sermon series is about. The first thing that we're going to discuss uh, today is meditation. That needs to be part of our everyday liturgy. Look, let's look at what meditation is about. In verse 2, it talks about the idea of meditating on God's word day and night. And that's a Hebrewism, that day and night. A day and night means the A to the Z, the beginning to the end, the sun up to sundown. There is a daily repetition that is continuous all throughout the day. We are to meditate on God's word day and night. At the beginning of the year, um, we encourage people to start reading the Bible from cover to cover. And really, all the sermon series and um, a lot of the seminars are going to be trying to help you through that. And if you've experienced that, if you're starting to do that, if you haven't done that yet, you can still jump on board with us. You can still start to try to read the Bible from cover to cover with us. If you're doing that, I know you're feeling like, man, it's hard. It's a lot of work. There's sometimes six or seven chapters a day. And that's the very beginning. We want to get people in the habit of Bible reading. But I want to say to you that Bible reading is actually not enough. It's just a very foundational step. It starts there. It shouldn't end there. Uh, Bible reading has to get deeper. David Mattis, in his book, Habits of Grace, He distinguishes between Bible reading, study, and meditation. He says those are three different things. They're related. And he gives a metaphor, uh, the metaphor of watching a film. Uh, Today's the Oscars and just dissecting a film. And this is what he says. He says, Bible reading is like watching the film in real time. Study is like going through a clip frame by frame. Meditation is for lingering over particular frames and pressing the significance to our hearts and into our lives. He says it starts with Bible reading. That's watching the movie. Study is breaking the film down, slowing it down. Meditation is freezing it and really thinking about it, pressing it into our hearts. Meditation is the the idea of you can read the Bible and come across this idea of the sovereignty of God. That's just a fancy word of saying God is in control of everything. That's, you can read that in the Bible. Study is, let me break that down even more. Let me find other places in the Bible that talk about the sovereignty of God. Let me Google Bible verses about the sovereignty of God. You can do that. Let me search that word in my Bible with my Bible app. Meditation is saying, God, if you're in control of everything, what are some things in my life 
that I'm not trusting you for. That's what meditation is. Like, God, let me take this idea, apply it to my life. I'm anxious about so many different things. There's so many things I'm not trusting you for. What are those things? Meditation is inviting God to speak into our lives, that it goes from our head to our heart to our actions. Meditation is a very key step in us experiencing that presence of God. Pastor, uh, the pastor, John Piper, who retired recently, said when uh, his son was growing up, he would often give him challenging novels to read. And his son would often complain to him, saying, man, this book, I can't, I, I can't keep track. The plot is too thick. The characters, there are too many characters. And Piper would say to his son, raking is easy, but all you get is leaves. He says, Digging is hard, but you might find diamonds. He says, if you rake, all you get is leaves, but you got to dig deep. That's where you're going to find the diamonds. You know, the Bible is a beautiful book. It's filled with poetry, biography. It's filled with um, all of these amazing adventures and tales that are true. It ends with an apocalypse, a literal apocalypse at the end of the Bible. The Bible is a dance book, a beautiful book. It has poetry. It has narrative. It has history. And really, we really need to mine the depth of all of that. There's so much there to uncover. Do you have, a, do you have meditation as a part of your everyday liturgy? I was reading a story about a journalist who was uh, struggling with smartphone addiction. I don't know if you have that. You probably do. And he was saying that he had such an addiction with his phone that he spent, and he tracked it. There's apps for that, oddly enough. He says he spent five hours a day on his phone. And he says he picked up his phone 200 times a day. And he realized that his relationships with his family, his wife, and his kids was deteriorating. So he got therapy. He went into detox, and he started doing things like putting, he put a rubber band around his phone. Uh, his uh, home page would ask him questions, do you really need me right now? Like, what are you checking me for? <laughs> you know, he would, uh, his therapist would give him tasks, like when you are walking outside, don't check your phone, but try to check out uh, the buildings and notice a new architectural feature in a building that you walk past. And he says when he was in the subway, he would start to notice things. He'd keep his phone in his pocket. He would start to people watch and observe things he had never seen before. He'd seen beauty in places he'd never seen before. And when he was at home, he put his phone away. And he says his wife noticed a complete difference. Now she felt like, I got my husband back. He's actually with me when I'm talking with him. Uh, The children noticed that their their father was more available. What was that journalist doing? He was rewriting his liturgy. You see, he had a liturgy, but his liturgy was filled with checking his phone 200 times a day. It was filled with all kinds of distractions, but he decided to rewrite his liturgy. What if your liturgy, instead of checking your phone 200 times a day, uh, was comprised and was centered on the Word of God? Instead of looking on your phone, you were lifting up meditative thoughts of heaven. What if it was thought with, filled with thoughts of thinking God's thoughts after him? That's what meditation is. God is thinking thoughts in the scriptures. We're thinking his thoughts after him. What if our daily liturgy from morning as we meditate to the night was saturated with God's word and God's heart? How would our life 
changed. And this is the final thing. You know, when you think about that liturgy and putting meditation in it, uh, God gives us promises. He says, if you do that, your life is going to look very different. And the Psalms are beautiful because it gives us pictures or images. In verse 3, this is the image. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. The blessed man is like a tree. A tree is very different from other kind of plants because of how long it lasts. There are trees that, like giant sequoias, that have lasted 3,000 years. Uh, They are different from plants that are very seasonal or last for a very limited amount of time. Trees are contrasted to chaff, which blows in the wind that everyone forgets. Trees are rooted. They go through seasons of drought, of plenty, and are always there. They're grounded. If you have God's word in your heart, if, you, if, you, if you're filling your mind and your heart with him, you're going to go through turbulent seasons in life, but you're going to be rooted. You're going to be solid. You're going to be strong. Secondly, you're going to flourish. In verse 3, it says, it yields its fruit in its season. It's not just that we're going to be strong and stable, but our life is going to flourish. It's going to have fruit that is life-giving. Notice it says, in its season. And that means that we're going to have some seasons in life where we're not going to be bearing fruit. And that's okay. The Psalms, as we're going to see, is filled with seasons in which people have despair. uh, They're lamenting. They're angry at God. They're doubting. And it's okay to have that. Not every season of our life is going to have fruit. But the promise is, if we're rooted in God, we will eventually get there. There will be a fruitful season in our life. We will experience the hallelujahs, the praise God, the thanksgivings that the Psalms end with. But here's the final encouragement. Um, you might be in a season in your life where you don't really, you're not really in God's word. You're not really attracted to God's word. You might be in a dry season of life where you don't feel like you're experiencing the goodness of God. But here's the final encouragement. The final encouragement is that ultimately the Psalms are not about us, but about him. One interesting thing about Psalm 1 is that it is almost certainly connected to Psalm 2. In fact, Psalm 1 and 2, when it was originally written, were probably one psalm. They're the same psalm. How do we know that? Well, if you look in uh, Acts chapter 13, 33, Luke quotes Psalm 2, Psalm 2, but he calls it the first psalm. Psalm 1 and 2 are probably the same psalm. Psalm 1 begins with the word blessed. Psalm 2 ends with the word blessed. They're both psalms about blessedness. They're just told from different perspectives. Psalm 1 is about our role in blessedness, which is meditating on his word day and night. Psalm 2 is about ultimately how God blesses us through the king. Psalm 2 is a, uh, it's a royal psalm. Some people say Psalm 2 was used in the coronation of the king. It's a royal psalm. Psalm 2 starts with this idea that there are different kings and leaders that are at war with each other, but God is in heaven and he laughs because he's installed the true king. Psalm 2, 6 says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And God says, I have a true king. I have a son that is coming who's going to be the true king. He is going to rule over all things. Psalm 2 sets the stage for all the psalms. 
The Psalms are about two things, essentially. They are about us. They are about our struggles to know God in the midst of sadness and joys. But, Psalm, but the Psalms are ultimately about the King, King Jesus. We might struggle to meditate. We might struggle to know God. But the good news is this, is that over every season of our life, God is the King. That's really one of the great messages of the psalm. Over everything in our life, the sorrows and joys, the pain, the, uh, the doubts, God is sovereign over all of that. He's the great king. Ultimately, Jesus is the fulfillment of the psalms. Psalm 1 is about this righteous man who meditates on God's word day and night. But which of us are like that? Which of us meditate has had one day where we meditated on God's word day and night through the whole day? Our best thoughts were about him. All of us would fail. But Jesus is ultimately the fulfillment of all the Psalms, especially Psalm 1. He's the only one who's meditated on God's word day and night. And Jesus ultimately has come to take the curse for us. We talked about the curse, which is being cut off. Uh, Jesus at the cross was cut off. He perished. He died in our place. And the good news for us is that in Jesus... Uh, we have the true king. And ultimately, the best meditation for us is to meditate on him and how he is the fulfillment of all things. We've talked about the idea of the path of life and how do I get on the path of life? Well, this is what Jesus says in John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am that way to this path of life. You know, we've been talking about, in that first point, I talked about this idea of the path, of living without a path. In some sense, it is a path uh, because it's away from God. In another sense, it's not a single path. You know, there are a hundred thousands of ways, ways to run away from God, to be away, to forget God, to drift from God. There's a thousand paths away from God. But you know, there's only one path back to God. There's a thousand paths away from God. There's only one path back. And Jesus says, I'm that path. I'm that way back. Uh, I am so filled with love for you. And the story of the whole Psalter and the whole Bible is about my heart and my passion for you. And ultimately, the way back home is through Christ. And ultimately, the way to continue to grow in their Christian life is that we meditate on him. You know, if you take all of your sins that you've ever committed and you multiply that by 1,000, That's no match for the grace of God in Jesus. There's no match for it. No matter how far we wander from God, no matter how deep our sins are, the gospel tells us in Jesus, it's all, it can be forgiven, you can be healed, and God, his heart is bursting with love for us. Let that be your meditation day and night, that you are his, that you are loved, that heaven is your home, that every step is one day closer there. Would that be your heart? And when you do that, the promise of the psalm is that your life will be filled with blessedness. Blessed. Your life would be truly blessed in every way. Uh, would you give God your heart and your best thoughts and your meditation? Would God write a different liturgy in your life? And would worship service be a pattern uh, for Monday morning? Would this liturgy here on Sunday morning be the pattern for your everyday life? Please join me in a word of prayer. 
Father, we give you thanks for this morning, and we confess to you how disordered our lives are. Father, we know that we are so forgetful of you when we leave this place, uh, and how, how so much we need uh, reminders that are so regular in our life to bring us back to you. I pray that you give us wisdom, also creativity, to think about our ordinary days. Uh, give us a new liturgy. Uh, Lord, we know that we are like sheep and that we are prone to wander, and we thank you for Jesus, who is a shepherd. You call us this morning. You call us back home. Pray for people who might realize that they're on the wrong path this morning and that they're headed in the wrong place. Pray, God, that they would see that Jesus opens up his arms to them and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Help us to experience and embrace that in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. During this-